At the end of a church service in Philadelphia, over a century ago, a man approached a preacher whose name was Daniel Stearns and said, I do not like your preaching. I do not care for the cross. I think instead of preaching the death of Christ on a cross, it would be far better to preach Jesus, the teacher and example. Dr. Stearns replied, would you be willing to follow him if I preach Christ as the example? The man answered and said, I would, I would follow him. Then Dr. Stearns said, let us take the first step. He did no sin. Can you take this step? The man looked confused. He said, no, I do sin and I acknowledge it. Well then, Dr. Stearns said, your first need of Christ is not as an example, but as savior. This man who approached his savior, approached the preacher, was not alone in his thinking that he doesn't need a savior. And this way of thinking was not just a problem of the 19th century, but is prevalent even today. This is a heresy that many in the church still believe today, that they are good enough to earn God's favor. This heresy has worn many different masks over the years, has existed since the beginning of the church, and still exists today. Several years ago, a Pew Research study asked thousands of people across America the question, is salvation by faith alone, or is it by faith plus good deeds? Among evangelical Protestants, 52% answered that it was faith plus good deeds that we are saved. 52%. That is a heresy that clearly still exists in the church today. The first century church dealt with this heresy in another form. Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians to deal with this false teaching directly. After Paul would start a church, he would stay for a while to shepherd them and help them grow. Then he would move on to continue his mission to the Gentiles with preaching the good news. After Paul left the churches in Galatia, a group called the Judaizers came in behind them and started to teach a message contrary to Paul's. Paul taught the true gospel of Jesus Christ that salvation comes to everyone, both Jew and Gentile, through faith in Jesus Christ, not by keeping the law. The Judaizers taught that new Gentile Christians had to become Jewish first by getting circumcised before they could be reconciled to God. They were not content with just changing Paul's message, but they attacked his character and his authority as an apostle. Paul's letter to the Galatians was a fierce response to his critics and their heresy. He begins the letter by establishing his authority as an apostle commissioned by Jesus Christ himself. He writes that he was accepted by the other apostles and Peter, and he validates his message as the same message of the other apostles, that although they are Jews, they are justified only by faith in Jesus Christ, not by keeping the law. Paul expresses his astonishment that the Galatians would believe another gospel, and he pleads with them to come back to the true gospel. Paul uses the example as Abraham being counted as righteous before God because he believed God, because of his faith. He then explains that through faith, Gentiles will be justified, and they will receive the blessings promised to Abraham. That brings us to our passage today. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 1659. 
For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Our passage today begins with a bold and somewhat shocking statement. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For all who rely on works of the law, not just some, not even many who rely on works of the law, but all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. So who are those who rely on works of the law? We know that Paul was teaching about a specific group called the Judaizers. And this group were teaching that new Gentile Christians had to live under the law in order to be, receive God's grace. They were preaching the necessity of being circumcised in order to be justified before God. But this problem has continued since the beginning of the church, all throughout church history, the attempt to earn one's salvation by your own works, by keeping the law. It was this issue that raged in the 16th century, causing the Protestant Reformation. Scripture presents to us that those who rely on works of the law are required to keep it perfectly. In order to be justified by the law, we must never break it, ever. All people who ever lived are under the law of God. God's authority is over everyone, and so is his law. And we see today those outside the Christian faith relying on works of the law all the time, whether they realize it or not. All the religions of the world, except one, come down to this. Earning the favor of God, earning your salvation, earning a higher spiritual status by doing good things. The trouble is that the people of other religions are following the wrong set of rules and they are thinking that they can undo their sins by doing good things. But the Bible never says this. The Bible tells us, as we read here in verse 10, that those who rely on works of the law are under a curse. And Scripture never says you can undo the curse on your own. It's not that we sin and are cursed, then we say a prayer and do a good deed and the curse is removed, then we sin and the curse is back, and as long as our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds, God will take us in. Scripture never says anything like this. We cannot merit our own justification before God in any way. But this is how people live out their lives. Even non-religious and secular people, they often pick up a cause and try to do good in the world. They may be against cruelty to animals or try to save the environment, or they find some cause that makes them feel good about themselves. However, they have defined good for themselves. Sometimes it's even evil things they've designated as good. And this is often what people do. But they are lost in their sin. They are drowning in their sin. They are accumulating the curse that they are under. They are building up the wrath of God that they deserve. So what does it mean to be cursed or under a curse? Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 28, verse 27. 
Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Curses are something that we don't often talk about today, at least not in the context that they are used in the Bible. It's not referring to the use of foul language or poking of voodoo doll with pins. In the Bible, a curse was the call for the supernatural destruction and damnation of someone you despised. The Bible is full of curses. We see people all throughout the scripture calling curses upon their enemies. In ancient times, calling curses upon your enemies was a part of life. In 1 Samuel, when David approaches Goliath for battle, Goliath calls curses upon him. The Psalms are full of invoking destruction and damnation upon others. In the first chapter of the book of Galatians, Paul himself writes, If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. But the reason we are discussing curses here is not just because we see people calling curses upon others in the Bible, but many times God is the one invoking the curse. Many curses in the Bible are invoked by God himself. The verse from Deuteronomy 28 that Paul quotes is exactly that. In the context of Deuteronomy, God gives the law and he says, you need to obey this law. Then he gives blessings and curses when he gave the law. Blessings were the reward for keeping the law. God gives a list of blessings as reward. But to get the reward, God says you need to obey every law, every moment of every day. And the penalty for not obeying the law perfectly, for one act of disobedience, was the opposite of blessing, was to be cursed. And you can read the curse God lists in Deuteronomy 28 for breaking his law. It's a list of afflictions for those that fail to obey. To sum up what scripture says about being cursed by God, it is to be doomed, to be marked for destruction, for eternal damnation. It is to be children of wrath. Paul's point is that keeping the law as a way of being reconciled before God is not only impossible, but will cause you to be cursed. The Bible is clear that all fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous, not one. We all fall under the curse of the law. We have all earned God's wrath. We've all earned eternal punishment. Consider in Matthew 22, when Jesus asked, was asked, which is the great commandment of the law? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. On more than one occasion, I've had people tell me that they keep God's commandments because of this one. They say that I love God, therefore I keep his commandments. We often read verses and don't let them fully sink in. Jesus is not simply saying love God here. He says love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind. If we are all being honest and we think back on the last 10 minutes, we have failed at this miserably. And that's during a sermon, during a worship service of God. How bad do we fail at this over the course of a day, or a week, or a year, or our lifetime? Not to mention, love your neighbor as yourself. How many of us can honestly say we love all of our neighbors as much as we love ourselves all of the time? I can tell you how many. None of us. Zero. No one ever. We are nowhere near fulfilling these commandments. And it's not just that we fail to keep them. We fail constantly 
all day long, our whole lives. We are so far from this to think that breaking the law once means we are cursed by God. Then compare it to how many times we break the law, which is countless. We sin far beyond our capacity to count. It's no wonder the Bible speaks so much of God's wrath. And this is what Paul is getting at here. Are you sure you want to try to earn God's favor by the law? Did the Judaizers mention that this would cause you to be cursed? In verse 11, he continues, Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. Paul starts this verse by clearing up the obvious, that if the standard of the law is perfection, then no one is justified by the law. That is, no one who has ever lived on any continent, in any country, of any color, of any creed, rich or poor, no one is justified by the law. He contrasts that with another scripture quote from Habakkuk 2 verse 4. The righteous will live by faith. Paul is now getting at here, not just the main point of his paragraph, but the main point of his whole letter. Justification is by faith. Justification is to be seen as righteous before God, or credit it as righteous, or count it as righteous before God. Paul has been showing us that it is only by faith that we are justified, by faith alone, with no additions. About this doctrine, Martin Luther stated, justification by faith is the article upon which the church stands and falls. During his time, Luther was surrounded by gross corruption and misconduct by the authorities of the church. And he came to the conclusion that at the heart of the issue was a misunderstanding of justification. Because to misunderstand how we are justified before God is to misunderstand the gospel itself. Before I go any further, I want to ask, knowing that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, how do you plan to stand before God in judgment? Maybe you have blocked this moment out of your mind hoping that it will never come. Or are you hoping that God will let you slide because although you haven't met his standard of perfection, you've been just good enough. If you have any hope of being seen as righteous before God outside of faith in Jesus Christ, I'm asking you that you abandon that today. That you take into your mind and into your heart that the doctrine of justification by faith alone is not just some theological sticking point for academics to argue over, but that your very salvation depends that you rely solely on Christ and his righteousness for your salvation. Paul uses the same Habakkuk verse when explaining justification by faith in the book of Romans. The righteous will live by faith. And it's not that someone earns righteousness on their own and then has faith, but someone that has faith is declared righteous or credited as righteous. We don't earn it at all. It's a gift. This is what Paul referred to earlier in the same chapter in verse 6 when he had an illustration of Abraham. Paul noted that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Habakkuk 2 verse 4 is saying the same thing. The righteous will live by faith. It is by faith in Christ and his righteousness that we are seen as righteous before God. It was this verse from Habakkuk that Martin Luther attributes to his awakening that propelled him to the battle cry of the Protestant Reformation, justification by faith alone. As he said himself, Before those words broke upon my mind, I hated God and was angry with him. But when, by the Spirit of God, 
I understood those words. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Then I felt like a new man. I entered through the open doors into the very paradise of God. Martin Luther finally realized what Paul had written about here, that no one is justified by works of the law. It is only through faith in Jesus Christ and him alone that we are justified before God. In verse 12, Paul continues to drive home the issue. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Paul now quotes from Leviticus 18, verse 5, to make his point. And it is the point that is missed by the Judaizers. It is the point that is missed by the church in Rome. It is the point that is missed by anyone that adds their own way to earn righteousness in addition to faith in Christ. Paul is saying that being justified by works of the law and being justified by faith are mutually exclusive. They are not compatible. You can't have both of them. It is an either-or situation. Paul puts it another way in Romans 4, verse 14. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless. When you bring obedience to the law in as a way to be seen as just before God, the faith becomes null and the promise is void. It is no longer by faith in God at that point. Because when you rely on yourself to be just before God, you no longer trust God. You have stopped believing in his promise. You have now told him you can do it yourself. Those that want to earn justification by the law are bound to its standard, which is perfection. And they are therefore under the consequences of failing to meet that standard of perfection. They are cursed. They are doomed. They are damned. So that's the bad news. Everyone is cursed by their own works. We have all fallen short of the standard of perfection. And all of humanity find themselves in the impossible situation of being justified by works of the law. So maybe we can understand the apostles in Matthew 19 when they asked Jesus, who then can be saved? But Jesus gives hope to all that realize their utterly desolate situation when he answers, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. In verse 13 of our passage, Paul gives us the explanation for how God accomplishes the impossible. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse by, of the law by becoming a curse for us. This verse begins with a theme we see all throughout the New Testament, the theme of redemption, the theme that Jesus has redeemed sinners. Redemption is about a purchase. In the Bible, a redeemer is someone who provides a ransom. In the ancient marketplace, a ransom was paid to release a slave from bondage. Here, Christ is redeeming us from the bondage of the curse. He frees us from the curse of the law, from the righteous wrath of God, from the damnation of the sinner. This was no ordinary purchase, but a miraculous purchase, where Jesus purchases us from the bondage of the curse. He buys us out of condemnation. He redeems us from death and destruction. And he did this by becoming a curse for us. The death of Jesus was not just any death. It was not only that someone died for us, but Jesus accomplished the perfect life. He fulfilled the requirement of the law by never breaking it. He even said in Matthew 5 that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He kept the requirements for receiving the blessings 
promised by the law. He never broke the law. Paul wrote of this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He made him to be sin. He became a curse for us. This is the great mystery of the transfer of our sins to Jesus, that he was actually given our sins so that the wrath of God that we have earned was punished on the cross. It is difficult to understand how much one person sins in a lifetime. It is unthinkable to think that at the cross of Calvary, Jesus bore the weight of all of the sins of all believers, past, present, and future. But this is what Paul tells us happens. We are justified before God by the means of our faith. And what R.C. Sproul refers to as the great exchange. Our sins are transferred to Jesus, so our sins are punished on the cross. And his righteousness is transferred to us, so we can be seen as just before God. This is the gospel. This is the good news that because Jesus bore our sins, we are no longer condemned. That because Jesus became a curse for us, we are no longer cursed. And because he bore our sins, because he became a curse, he took the full impact of God's holy wrath. He felt the full curse for our violations. The Father turned his back on him. Jesus died for our sins so we can be seen in his righteousness before the Father. It is not enough in itself that he died, but he fulfilled the law in perfection for us and bore the punishment for us. Paul quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 23, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Also translated as cursed is everyone who is hung from a tree. In ancient Judaism, criminals were executed by stoning and then hung on a tree to show that they had been cursed by God. This was one of the many reasons that Jews for centuries rejected Jesus as Messiah. They could not accept the idea of a Messiah that had been cursed by God. Prior to his conversion, the Apostle Paul most likely thought this way. He was persecuting a church that were proclaiming a Messiah that had been cursed by God. But God chose Paul and he changed him. He sent him the Holy Spirit so he could see the truth, that Jesus is a Messiah that was cursed by God. But he was cursed not because of what he did. He was cursed for us. Jesus took on our curse, and this is why he was punished. This is why he was hung from a pole. The apostles often use the imagery of Jesus being hung from a tree in their preaching because they knew it meant he was cursed by God. They knew it meant he was cursed by God for us. And this is what Paul's been writing to the Galatians. This was God's promise to Abraham that all nations will be blessed through him, that a Savior will be sent for all nations. Verse 14 says, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. God promised Abraham that all peoples on earth will be blessed through him. That promise is fulfilled in those that have faith in Jesus Christ, in those that trust in him for their salvation, in those that understand they are cursed. They understand their need for a Savior. They understand that Savior is Jesus Christ. And they will receive the blessings promised to Abraham. They will receive the Holy Spirit. These blessings are not only for Jews, but for Gentiles. 
You do not need to be a genetic descendant of Abraham to receive these promised blessings. All that have faith in Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile, will receive these blessings. This is the message of salvation the apostles were preaching. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, that the God of Abraham, the one true living God, has provided salvation for all nations through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The blessings promised to Abraham are seen in the forgiveness of our sins, in the righteousness of Christ being transferred to us, in our salvation and eternal life, in us being given the Holy Spirit. These blessings were promised to the peoples of all nations. And we see the truth of this in the gospel of Jesus Christ being spread all over the world today. We are living proof of this promise. We are the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Here we stand on the other side of the earth, almost 2,000 years after this letter was written, going over every detail, examining its truth in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are here right now at this moment because God always keeps his promises. God has chosen us to be his. He has given us the Holy Spirit so that we can be counted as righteous by faith in his Son. This is the message that the world will continue to deny, but we must continue to preach. That all people everywhere are cursed by God. They are in need of a Savior. But that same God has provided a Savior. The Holy Creator of all things, in his infinite love and wisdom, sent his Son to die for us, so that those that believe in him can be saved. When we begin to grasp this, the fullness of this message, we can rejoice. We can take this message to the world unashamed of the gospel. Tell the world what you know. Preach the good news of Jesus Christ to all that need to hear. Now, if you have come here today and you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you need to do so today. If you are still living under the curse, thinking that you can do it yourself, give yourself over to Christ. It is in denying ourselves that we gain the life promised in Christ. There is nothing but death in us, but there is life, eternal life, in Jesus Christ. In the cross, we see the miraculous act that is both the fullness of God's judgment and wrath and the fulfillment of his love and mercy. That sinners may be seen as righteous before God. There is salvation in no other name. Believe in Jesus Christ and you shall be saved.